Hello, and welcome to another edition of the ATNWB podcast. I am your host, Chris Booker-Taylor, and I am joined in the news episode with the ATN news episode, I don't know, <laughs> with Mr. Alex Wilson. Hi, Alex. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so this is going to be a follow-up to last week's episode uh, last week it was uh, Keaton returns and the crisis con- the crisis continuity cleanup part one. This one's going to be Keaton returns and the crisis corporation cleanup part two. Nice. Even though they have different word wording, part one and part two they're different. And I think that what has happened in the DC universe, in the DC multiverse, where they have combined all of these um, sporadic earths as it were in the live action and they've kind of through the crisis on infinite earths uh, crossover special on the cw they kind of um folded them all together and made the made the multiverse like bigger but also smaller in a way because now it now it finally incorporates uh some live action stuff which is really cool i think that's what we're going to be getting more into today but also how uh how Warner Brothers, AT&T, once they bought Warner Brothers, it took them like two years, but now they're letting go a lot of people. So there was a lot of people that they put in charge that are now leaving. So that's the corporation cleanup we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, they just got rid of uh, uh, two very experienced executives, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, for sure. But first, I want to go back to the top. Um, so the, um, like, as I said, just like how they're restructuring the DC multiverse and getting away from this DCEU idea, I feel like, I feel like the DCEU, we're talking about this off, um, microphone, but I feel like the DCEU is just like one of the earths, you know? So everything that happened in the Snyder movies, like the Wonder Woman movie, the Aquaman movie, that's all on earth. I'm going to call it Earth DCEU right now. I think it's a good term. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But as I said, Warner itself is restructuring. So uh, we were talking before, too, that John Glover is... Um, we, we keep saying John Glover is Michael Rosenbaum's real dad. And that's because like of how important Smallville is to this podcast. because Specifically because it was a Warner Brothers network. TV series and a DC Comics TV series. So it was the Arrowverse before the Arrowverse. And now, because of Crisis on Infinite Earths, it's folded into the Arrowverse and the greater multiverse, which again is so cool that they're doing this. John Glover um, is Michael Rosenbaum's real dad? I mean, is he? I think so. Uh, I mean, I've heard Michael Glover on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. And it still almost doesn't sound like it's definitively answered because they have such a casual relationship. But I, I'm 99% sure that that is his real dad. I'm gonna, we're just going to say there's a mystery and we'll never be able to solve this. <laughs> As I say, he played his dad on Smallville. He played Lionel Luther, Lex's dad on Smallville. He also played the voice of the Riddler in the Batman animated series. And he now has played 
four separate DC Comics characters, because he's also played Dr. Savannah's father in Shazam and Lex's father in Smallville, as we were saying, which is ironic because Dr. Savannah is basically a Lex ripoff. Yes. Uh, he's pretty much exactly like Lex, but just an older Lex, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I got off of the movie. And yeah, he's like a taller Lex almost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, um, so we talked a lot last week about the Crisis on Infinite Earths CW Arrowverse. I like to call it the DCW universe um, crossover. Um in the DC multiverse. And there was actually a comic release to go along with the crisis on infinite earths CW crossover event. It was called crisis on infinite earths paragons rising. And if you actually go to like the comiXology app, do you have the comiXology app? I did at one point, but I haven't uh, updated it on my phone in a while and I haven't checked it out in a while, but it was awesome when I was using it. Yeah. uh, I've, I went back to it to get this comic and it's really interesting. There's, now it shows like seven different volumes of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, that's cool. And one of, yeah, one of them is the volume seven, which is now this. So like a lot, some of the other ones are like, you know, the omnibus or like the, the co-companion that like reader that you could read along with it, you know, things like that. Yeah. But the last one now, volume seven, is this Paragon's Rising. And it has all of the heroes, like it has... um grant gustin's uh flash and has the supergirl and it has michelle or michelle benoist right and benoist right benoist yeah and it had um also her husband is also in the in this series and he also is on uh like legacies he's in the uh, vampire diaries like um universe oh, really? which is really cool yeah he plays like the super evil guy and then they keep bringing him back in the different shows which is really awesome so like there's a great synergy there for um him as an actor like he gets to stay on the cw and his wife is there too it's really cool that is awesome i didn't realize they were married yeah yeah and also, um, I, I'm sure uh, Arrow is there as well, since Stephen Amell, right? Or did I say his brother's name by accident? Who was in? Who was in the Flash? Not as his brother, but just as a different superhero, which makes me very confused because I feel like they look exactly the same. I get them confused. Yeah, there's Stephen and Robert, if I'm not mistaken, and I think Stephen is uh, the Green Arrow. Um, okay, but I'm not entirely sure either. Like you, well, let's just go with Stephen. <laughs> yeah. We'll just go, yeah, go with that. And so, um, in it, um, in Paragon's Rising, this isn't in the uh, Christ. This didn't what this didn't show up on on in live action on television, you know. But in the comic, uh, John Cryer's Lex goes to a meeting entitled "The Council of Lexes." Really, like I, I, I saw his cameo with, uh, or not his cameo, but I saw Tom Welling's cameo recently uh, in Crisis. And that was a great scene between him and John Cryer's character. Uh, but I, right. I, I, I guess that makes sense that they would have a council of Lexes. Yeah, and so it seems it's a bunch of different Lexes from the multiverse. So it's not just the live-action Lexes. It's also, um, it looks like the one has the suit kind of from Injustice. Like it might be the Injustice Lex. Mm. And then, you know, there's another one that kind of looks like like one of the comic book Lexes, of course. And... Also at the council is now, uh, obviously we know 
John Cryer played Lenny Luther in Superman 4, and in Crisis and in the DCW Arrowverse, um, he's playing Lex Luthor. So it makes sense why he's at the council since he is a Lex, you know? Yeah, that does make sense. But also at this council is Gene Hackman's Lex. Really? Yes. Is it is it somebody did they get a body double obviously or how did they make that happen? No, this is this is in the comics. Oh, this is in Crisis on Infinite Earths Paragon's oh, Rising. Now I'm on board. I was very confused for a second. That's fine. This is very confusing cuz like you think that only live action can happen in live action, but they pull the character out of live action and make it into like a comic book character, like that <laughs> version of the character. That's awesome. So, yeah. So you see, like, Gene Hackman's Lex is there. So here's where they fold in Christopher Reeves's Superman universe. Mm. Now, is Gene Hackman's Lex and Kevin Spacey's Lex the same Lex? You know, that's a good point. They, I think Kevin Spacey plays it very similar, similarly to how uh, Gene Hackman takes it. Like, it's kind of like the suave, older, gentlemanly Lex Luthor. Absolutely, but uh, but I don't know if, uh, in terms of character, if they're considered the same. According to Singer, it's the same Superman, but it takes place after two, making three and four not canon with Superman Returns, or maybe three and four still takes place afterwards. I don't know if it fits in though, like a puzzle piece. It probably doesn't. No, but if I mean, if Singer considers it a. Uh, uh, a spiritual sequel, then I guess he would consider Spacey's character at least uh, inhabiting those same qualities if it's not the exact same Lex Luthor. Yeah, so here's, I think that the events of Superman 1 and 2 happened to Brandon Ruth's Superman, right? Mm, yeah. But but then I also think, so I do think Brandon Ruth and uh, Christopher Reeve do play the same Superman, but there is there is a, there is like a switch point at, you know, where or a flashpoint, you know, there's a moment in time where it splits and you get Superman three and four Christopher Reeve and you get Superman returns Brandon Ruth. Mm. So they still went through the same journeys in one and two in their separate universes on their separate earths. And, and then, um, like, you know, they just made a different decision. I think it's a, he, it's his decision just to leave. Right and and he comes back and Superman returns. Yeah, or so, and he so he was gone for like a long time, and so I think like that decision, uh, like I, I don't know if it's at that moment it creates like a separation in the multiverse, and now they're on separate Earths, or they've always been on separate Earths. They just had the same path until that moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, now that would make sense. That uh, I think because they build in that um, mechanism of him coming back. Uh, that they're able to kind of make it seem like, oh, well, these characters are all acting similarly to the uh, to the original Christopher Reeve Superman, but this is how we explain them all kind of being a little bit different. They've all grown, or or they've all they've all changed a little bit, even though Superman is somewhat the exact same from when he left. Yeah, I think this puts more weight too on Superman Prime coming in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. CW special crossover event. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of words always in that. Uh, <laughs> because if Brandon Ruth comes back, that kind of means it's Christopher Reeve in a way coming back. True. Like his, his Superman in some slight way. Um, 
obviously they're uh, establishing again here in this Paragon's Rising comic that Gene Hackman and um, and uh, which is Gene Hackman and John Cryer's Lexes are obviously different, you know. But it's cool that they both were in Superman Four together, you know, one as Lex and one as Lenny. I just think so. They kind of like they re-meet back up here, even though they're both Lex here. So does that make sense? It's just really crazy. No, <laughs> that it, doesn't make sense. No, that makes sense. And, and especially, I think, Brandon Ruth, even more so than Henry Cavill, I think inhabits that kind of almost boyish charm and innocent charm that you get with uh, Christopher Reeve. Uh, so I think that it, it, it makes sense that in the Crisis uh, CW version, that his character would be that spiritual successor and that his character would be able to inhabit both Christopher Reeve's attitudes towards Superman and Brandon Ruth's uh, take on it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But basically, I think Returns is a split in the timeline, so different Earths, ultimately. Yeah. Now, now this is what we were talking about earlier. Um, and so yeah that that's the Paragon's Rising comic. There's there's some more stuff in there too that's really cool. Like a lot of the supermans do come together in that and <laughs> but it's it's really cool um again how they're tying this the live action multiverse into the greater like comic book and greater multiverse. This is what we were talking about before. There's a different corporate structure happening now at AT&T and Warner Brothers, Warner Media, Warner Brothers Pictures, you know, HBO Max, HBO, all of that stuff. There's this big turnover. So the new CEO um, of Warner Media is Jason Kylar. And there's no more John Stanky. John Stanky is gone, which is really sad because I love saying John Stanky. Yeah. Everyone knows that. <laughs> in this that you've listened to this podcast <laughs> so that's it so let's like have a tear for no more being able to say stanky no more stanky um, oh well also this is the huge thing that i think we'll have plenty to talk about bob greenblatt is out at hbo yeah and uh and kevin riley uh, i mean both of those two yeah yeah so uh, Go ahead. Now, I was going to say, I mean, Bob Greenblatt, especially having um, run Showtime for forever and kind of spearheaded a lot of their first original programs uh, and then taken over at NBC and added a little edge to their lineup uh, when they had been uh, a very traditional network for a long time. Um, and now, of course, going over to HBO before being ousted recently. I mean, it's just it's uh, it's strange to see it him only get a couple of years in the position, but it seems like that's uh that, that, that AT&T is very serious about getting results in these last couple of years and that they want to see HBO max progressing in a certain direction. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Oh, I think when Greenblatt was at NBC, I think he fractured or splintered rather the must see TV comedy brand they have there. Agreed. They have a very strong branding of that. And he let Brooklyn 99, Brooklyn 99, Brooklyn 99, and NBC made show like NBC Universal TV makes that, and that which I'm sure has a different name now. And so, <laughs> so they, I feel he splintered the brand in that he let Brooklyn 99 and NBC made show go over to 
Fox. And I don't, I feel like it was right when he left that they got the show back. And then also, I think Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was a huge NBC branding show. Like, that show is perfectly the NBC brand, and he let it go to Netflix. Yeah, and same with the Mindy Project. Didn't that end up uh, leaving? I mean, he he could have had that show. I mean, that was another Office alum, and that didn't obviously work out at NBC. Yeah, that was all NBC. That was all perfect NBC branding. All of those shows, and he let them go. I just feel like the Greenblatt era of NBC is sporadic and in other places. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, Warner Brothers CEO um, uh, Ann Sarnoff will oversee the entire network and studio portfolio. You know, they're streamlining the content operations, and HBO program president. Casey Bloys now reports directly to Ann Sarnoff. Yeah. And, and uh, also, um, there's a domestic... Like, now they have, like... They're calling it the domestic linear networks, TNT, TBS, and True TV, which I think is a really interesting branding. I mean, like, as we were saying earlier, like, those are not sexy brands, any of those. So I don't see them lasting that long or like I see them kind of folding all into each other. Yeah, I I, I think they're definitely uh, going to combine those all under one roof. Uh, that, that just seems to be the trend for everybody is really consolidating these brands under one umbrella. Yeah. And then he said real quick, uh, this is a direct quote, that the Warner uh, Brothers motion picture uh, group continues to be led by Chairman Tony Emmerich. Warner Television Studios Group continues to be led by Chairman Peter Roth. Warner Brothers Interactive remains a part of the studios, which was a lot of people thought that they were going to sell it to like Sony or something. Uh, with um, a global brands and franchises team, including DC, led by Pam Lilford. Uh, Lifford, because a lot of the DC people obviously were let go, sadly. So now a lot of the global brands and franchises, like that's what's going to um, have the DC brand now. And then are kids, young adults, and classics business led by Tom Ashim. I probably didn't say that. I'll focus on engaging fans with our brands and franchises through games and other interactive experiences. So DC Chief Creative Officer DC, or DC Chief Creative Officer Jim Lee um, is now basically in charge of DC. So Jim Lee. Hmm. Mr. Ladies and gentlemen. The name sounds familiar, but I'm not sure where he comes from either. Oh, he, he's, he uh, is an artist. He draws really, you know, very elaborate. It's very beautiful. You can almost see the lines in it. Um, but it was like Batman. You know, he's done the whole DC. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Also, Jeff Johns is going to be at the DC Fandom this, um, you know, on the twenty second. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you were you were saying before, like, what's his role now? I don't know. I don't know what his role is, but he's going to be there. So it should be interesting what he's going to do. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to technically be some kind of in some kind of emeritus advisory position, but I don't think he's uh, going to be making all the decisions for dc anymore i mean he's certainly not going to have the power that he had under the kind of snyder years no definitely not uh jim lee is definitely going to be the the main the main man in charge Uh, but one third of the dc comic staff has been let go wow 
Uh, most of the DC Universe staff. So we were talking before, how long is DC Universe going to last? They're, I, I don't think very long. I, it might just be, again, a reader where you can go and read for $3 or 6 bucks uh, all of the DC comics, yeah. like a library. DC Library. DC Library, that's right. Oh, the, that's what it should be called. I mean, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then DC Direct, like I was saying before, direct-to-consumer merch and collectible manufacturer is now gone. So now DC merch has already been shifted to Warner Brothers consumer products. So overall, about 600 people were let go. Crazy. I'm, I, I don't understand that move other than just trying to trim uh, as much as they can, but it just seems rather drastic when you consider that all of the stuff on the cinematic side comes from what they create on the comic side. So hopefully, yeah, I don't know. I think the comics will still be happening. Dan Didio did leave, what was that, a couple months ago, six months ago, four? And he had this, like, it was like DC Generations, and it was going to be like five years or five books of content where they would... uh kind of retire some of the current like people who are certain superheroes and then have newer, younger versions come in. Mm. So when they let Dan Didio go, they let, they let this idea go. So there's still remnants of it in like 10, like issue 1027 of detective comics. They have like, he's going to like Batman's going to go back to 1939. Um, But I don't know if any other, uh, comic is, it, is still attached with that idea. So I think they turned it into something else in the Batman Detective Comics. That makes sense. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So Warner Brothers Television and Warner Horizon Scripted TV will merge to become Warner Brothers TV Scripted Division. And then Telepictures, that makes Ellen, which is a whole thing we can talk about. That's for another time. Warner Horizon Unscripted and Shed Media will all become Warner Unscripted TV Division. So now you just have Warner Brothers TV Scripted Division and Warner Brothers Unscripted TV Division. So yeah, so it's they've uh, they've rolled it all up into just scripted and unscripted, and there's no more uh, kind of deviation between cable or network or anything like that, is there? It's all gone. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, or like programming for different demographics mm. for different companies. It's just just scripted or unscripted now. And I believe like telepictures, uh, Warner Horizon, Shed Media will still like if they're producing something, you'll probably still see those names. Like it won't say Warner Brothers Unscripted TV Division. Like I think it'll still have to say telepictures if Ellen ever comes back. And I just need to say about Ellen, like, yes, she, it, I've heard stories where she was, you know, is terrible to people who aren't famous. It's very simple. And, but a lot, not, but that is unacceptable. And also a lot of people in this industry and the industry is like that, the entertainment entertainment industry. Like if you try to get a job in the entertainment industry, you have to forget about going to like maybe your father's funeral or things like that. And that's part of the whole Ellen thing. And I think that's in general part of working in the entertainment industry, which is unacceptable. Yeah. And just this idea uh, of 
when she came out and said, you know, I, I when I first started the show, I planned to be hands on uh, in most of the departments. And as I hired people to oversee certain things, I trusted them to do the job that I would do. And I and I kind of took a step back um, and I just don't buy that excuse. It, it feels like a cop out. And I do think that when you're the head of an organization, uh, that even if you do take that kind of role, you know, whatever happens on your watch uh is your responsibility uh but but i i don't i don't buy that a lot of that uh a lot of that pain and torture i don't buy that some of it wasn't caused by her i I think that it's just kind of shifting the blame to some of the other executive producers and i think that in general that show just sounds like a a culture of of uh of kind of disrespect yeah and i think it goes down to that line in the dark night that harvey dent says where you either uh, die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, right? Yeah. Alright, so this is the reason why Greenblatt is gone, if we can get back to Bob Greenblatt. So again, 19 months on the job, he came in, he came in, his job was to restructure like HBO, True TV, TNT, TBS Superstation. And his job was to make this all like one company under HBO, in a way, all this television and branded as HBO Max. And so that's what happened. And do you know the numbers yet? I'm about to tell you the number game. And you're, I, I think this might surprise you a lot of it. Of new subscribers or exist, or subscribers that carried over from before HBO Max? Or what, what numbers are we talking? Just, to, just uh, I, have, I have them all. Oh, I have awesome. them all. Uh, yeah, so the new numbers, what do you think rebranding to HBO Max like brought in? You know, I feel like I read it, uh, but my guess would be around four million or a little over four million. So this is how they word it too. HBO Max delivered one point one million more HBO subscriptions and three million more quote unquote retail customers. Oh. I, I that sounds like if you bought a MacBook Pro and you got or not a MacBook, but it sounds like if you bought some kind of AT and T contract or a phone with an AT and T contract that they were including customers who might have gotten a year of service and those kind of numbers. You're probably right. Yeah. I was th- I was thinking that it meant like retail customer was like someone who just like buys it for a month, you mm-hmm. know, and then moves on. Like they just buy it like it's retail. Like every three months they'll like buy a subscription for a month. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying is the correct way of reading that. Well, I can see either way. I mean, there it's it's intentionally vague no matter how you look at it. Uh, but I do think that with if your numbers are that different, like if one of the numbers is one million and one is three point three, and you're a new service, and then one and that three point three is called retail customers, I'd have to assume that it's people who get some incentive to buy it based on buying another product, uh, or or based yeah. on or based on a trial, like you're saying, like it's it's some kind of there's an extra incentive that they're getting to get HBO. Totally. Yeah, completely agree. So yeah, it's 1.1 million just people signed up and then 3 million more of the retail customers. So I think that that 1.1 million means that there's 1.1 million Friends fans out there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and people who are willing to get it and wait around for the Snyder Cut, uh, they're that much, they're they're that hardcore of uh, Snyder fans that they're willing to get it this early just to have it. 
they're such hardcore Snyder fans that no matter what HBO Max talks about, they end up making it about the Snyder Cut somehow in the comments on Twitter. Exactly. It's, it's a superpower they have. It's it's brilliant. <laughs> Uh, so H, do you know where HBO is now standing in subscribers? That I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't think it's anywhere near, actually, I was going to say it's not near Disney plus, but they, they probably did pretty well with just the carryover people who had HBO before. Uh, I guess like, I guess like 26 million people had HBO before cause it's at 30 million subscribers. Wow. And then Disney plus is at 60.5 million. And ESPN Plus, 8.5. And then Hulu is at 35.5 million. Wow. Uh, so Hulu's beating out HBO Max. I will say, I, I was a subscriber of the Hulu deal when it came out where you get Hulu, ESPN Plus, and Disney Plus uh, for somewhat of a discount for having all three. Uh, and so I wonder how that package affects those subscriber numbers like how many how many people who have espn plus have it because they just have it as part of their bundle um and same, that's true same especially Hulu. especially right now yeah. with no sports happening i mean there's some sports happening but overall i feel like espn plus is probably suffering due to covid of course just like everything else oh yeah so they wanted between 60 and 80 million subscribers of Disney Plus by 2024, and they've already hit 60 in like 10, 11 months. Mm. That's nuts. Yeah. And uh, so Netflix has 192.4 million subscribers. And is that total or is that just the U.S.? I'd assume total. it's total, yeah. 72.9 million in the US. Wow. And then Peacock, which again, Brave New World, great show on that network, has 10 million subscribers. But I don't know. I, I don't know if they're just like, I don't know if that is just downloads because it's free or if that actually means the people who like signed up and are paying for the commercial version or the commercial free. There's different tiers. Mm so they have like a hulu system where one package is commercials and one is commercial free like you're saying yeah okay. that they were saying that hbo max was going to have and never did yeah supposedly the rumor is that um uh that netflix might be trying to roll out a an ad model uh, but we'll see we'll see what happens um, I can totally see that for certain shows, like especially like a reality show. I can see throwing commercials in there. Yeah, and and I can see a package where anything that they make that's original programming, you don't have to have commercials, regardless of what package you have. But maybe, like you're saying, if it's reality shows or if it's something that they licensed, maybe they uh, offset those costs with um, with uh, with an advertising bundle. Or they even just like advertise their own shows before their own shows, like HBO Max does. Oh, I don't think they do that. That's true. They just have it on like the the splash screen, like the menu screen. <laughs> so 112 million Amazon Prime members. Again, it's like a different thing, but it's still it's the same thing, you know. Yeah, and and just like with uh, 
Well, with Amazon's case, I wonder how many people are just doing it for the Amazon Prime, you know, delivery function of it. And they just happen to also get the streaming service because they want their packages delivered faster. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I don't really watch anything um, on Amazon Prime. There's been nothing that I really found that I like. I think Goli- love. I think Goliath is very good. Uh, I've watched the first season of that. I have not seen the second season uh, or the third. I think there's probably a third season out by now. Uh, and then also Homecoming. I've seen all of Homecoming, and that's worth a nice. watch because it's that one's easy to watch in kind of bite-sized chunks. It's it feels like a drama, but they're thirty-minute-long episodes, thirty-five-minute-long episodes. So it's it's easy very easy to binge that show that's great and then uh your your previous place of employment uh showtime yeah we don't have actual just showtime numbers they've only now combined the showtime and cbs all access numbers together Mm. and that's only 16.2 million subscribers wow that's odd yeah that it feels like they're hiding something on that front because I'd assume it'd be more than that. Yeah. Uh, when you were there, um, was there, I don't know, was there any word of like us versus HBO and stuff? There, you know, the interesting conversations that were happening when I worked there are now almost moot points, but uh, um, the big topic of conversation was over the top programming. You know, people didn't know. Uh, whether the networks or whether streaming services or not streaming services, but whether cable services would be able to offer an over the the top package where they could bypass, uh, you know, cable companies like Cox and Comcast and just offer Showtime, you know, like HBO Now or Showtime Now um, a la carte, you know, just by itself. And so now, now, now obviously everybody's doing it. But at the time, back in the early kind of 2010s, that was the, that was the big debate was whether or not they could make that fly and still keep cable companies happy and still keep the you know same kind of rates and same kind of oh, yeah. competitiveness now obviously everybody's doing it over the top and there's no real kind of pushback i'd assume from cable companies uh but at the time it was a very scary proposition it was you know how many if comcast decided to boycott us if we went over the top and offered our network straight to consumers what kind of blowback would we have if Comcast decided to say, well, we're just not carrying Showtime anymore. Um, and, yeah, I, and, yeah. and now they made it so that like those companies could buy out each other, like when Comcast bought out NBC Universal. So you have the cable company and the, the like distributor um, now being the same thing. Yeah. Um, the, there's only like, I guess there's five, maybe six major uh, studios. You know, there's Disney, there's Warner Brothers, which this podcast is about. There's Paramount, which, it, again, is owns CBS All Access and Showtime, and is also their like the company that's above them that owns everything is Viacom. Yeah. And Sumner Redstone actually died today. I don't know if you know that. I did see that. I didn't. Re- yeah. I didn't realize that he'd made his fortune from like his family owned a bunch of drive-in movie theaters, and that was originally how they amassed their wealth and then he went and bought cbs uh and paramount and kind of created that uh media empire based on a uh, a chain of drive-in theaters that his family had started well that's crazy because the u.s government is ending the paramount decree which we learned about in school mm-hmm. which is 
the content owner and distributor cannot also be the exhibitor. Yeah. So back then, uh, you were able to be the movie theater and also the person who owned like the movie. And now, well, before, like then, like throughout the, you know, our entire lives, you weren't able to do that. AMC theaters had to be separate from Warner Brothers. But now this brings way to Warner Brothers, like scooping up AMC theaters, for instance. There's nothing standing in the way of these companies just buying out like these smaller uh, theater chains, especially through COVID. Like they're not really making any money right now. So that would be this is an opportune moment for them to just get gobbled up by these larger companies. Yeah, and I thought the judge's argument was interesting because the judge who struck down the Paramount decree, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be an appeal process regardless, uh, but the judge who struck this whole thing down basically said, oh, well, this this uh, Paramount decree is actually anti-competitive because it only applies to the traditional studios and it doesn't apply to streamers like Amazon or Netflix who, you know, aren't traditional studios and they you know, basically they they didn't have to follow that law. You know, they could potentially buy their own chain. So the judge's argument was this levels the playing field now. You know, Paramount or Disney could now own theater chains again. But what what's confusing to me is why wouldn't you just widen that umbrella and put people like Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and other streamers under that same uh, set of guidelines? Uh, because now I think you've opened the floodgates to Disney buying AMC or Comcast buying AMC, uh, especially in this time when theater chains are struggling and they're probably looking for buyers. Oh, yeah, exactly. So you're really hurting independent filmmakers and you're really going to hurt theater chains with, you know, the, the, the Paramount Decree also struck down block booking, which meant that studios back in the day before, back in the day when you could do block booking, uh, studios like Universal could say, all right, if you want this huge movie that we're putting out, you also have to show these four really shitty B-movies that we're also producing this year. And they could really hold that over a bunch of smaller theater chains' heads. Uh, and now, with the Paramount Decree uh, out of the picture, what's to stop Disney from saying, okay, you want to show Star Wars? Well, you have to show these uh, you know, six Tim McGraw movies that we made this year or, or X, Y, and Z. <laughs> yeah. But that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also uh, they, what they also could have done is they could have made it so that digital distribution or digital exhibition, sorry, digital exhibition and like movie theater exhibition, like live are two different things. And they didn't do that in the law, but they could have separated those things to make it so that these theater chains still just don't get bought out yeah exactly i mean amazon and netflix were consider they were putting in bids to buy the landmark theater chains just two or three years ago and that deal ended up falling through for whatever reason uh but there was nothing in the law that said they couldn't do it because they weren't part of that paramount decree uh language you know they they were they're kind of this. They're the same. They're this amorphous entity that they don't count as a traditional studio. So, I think it would have been a lot easier to just say Amazon, Netflix, you're under. You now have to follow the Paramount decree just as much as any other studio, um, as opposed to just kind of creating a wild west environment. Yeah, yeah, and so um, yeah, I believe that's it. I have two more points, uh, real quick. Um, I wanted to bring it back. Finally, um, 
uh, Robert Pattinson uh, recently he said that he lied to Christopher Nolan about having a family emergency when he actually left to he left set to test screen for the Batman. Oh, he just lied about it. He just said he had to. Yeah, Nolan Nolan knew immediately what where he was going. Wow. But I just think it's so funny because both movies, Tenant, which he was on the set of, obviously, in this story, and The Batman are both Warner Brothers movies. So it almost seems like there was a Warner synergy of like, oh, well, obviously, we'll take the star of the Nolan movie and put him as the Batman. Like, so one this first year, you know, 2020, we'll have Tenant. And this is them talking pre-COVID, of course. They didn't know that this is going to happen. And so Tenet internationally, you know, will be released with Robert Pattinson. And then like next year we'll have him as our Batman. So we'll like pump him up. But it's weird that no, like Nolan didn't know about that at all. Yeah, that that is kind of shocking. And I wouldn't be surprised if Nolan probably did confront somebody at Warner Brothers over that whole issue. But I'm sure somebody basically, you know, told them, well, we're the we're overall the owner of both Tenet and the Batman. And so if he needs to take a break to shoot the Batman, then we're going to okay it. Uh, who knows what kind of conversations went on behind the screen with that. Yeah. I feel like in like 30 years after Nolan dies, they're going to, there's going to be like a Nolan verse and people are going to like make new stories and like, and crossover inception and tenant and all these films. Yeah. That'd be cool. I mean, if they, yeah. uh, with all the, with the rumors I heard about uh, crisis on the CW, I heard they reached out to every, uh, you know, DC, uh, you cinema actor. So they reached out to people like Christian Bale and Henry Cavill to try to make it work to have them cameo. Uh, so, I mean, if they're willing to try to put those people together now, I'm sure in the future, they'll try to come up with ideas to cross people over in, in films and, and TV properties again. And that brings us to our final moment. Um, our final thing is that our final bit of news is that they released the names of all the people that are going to be at DC Fandom. And the one name that came up that I was like, holy crap, this is amazing, is Val Kilmer. Wow. That's pretty awesome. I, I was just trying to think of what they would put him in, if he's going to be in the in the Flash movie or, you know, as like yeah, a Flashpoint so. uh, cameo. Yeah, I would think that in the Flash, in the Fla- Andy Muschietti's The Flash, I would think that maybe you see both Michael Keaton's Batman and you see Val Kilmer's Batman. So I'm thinking, I'm think, again, Michael Keaton's Batman from Earth 89, and I'm going to say Val Kilmer's Batman's from Earth 95, since that's the year Batman Forever came out, which is what where his Batman is from. Oh, that makes Rest sense. In- Rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. <laughs> uh, again, I love that movie. Love Batman Forever. So, I mean, if this happens, if Michael Keaton's Batman and Val Kilmer's Batman, like, fist bump or, you know, like, kiss or, you know, just, like, say, well, like, what's up on screen together and they're both, like, in costume, that would be insanity. That would be so crazy. Definitely. At least some kind of... Uh, if not a team up in an action sequence, at least some kind of interaction uh, where you have kind of like a council of Batmans in the same way that you had the the Lex Council in the comics. The council of Lexes, yeah. yes, amazing. Of course, of course. So that's it for the eighteen WB podcasts. Um, Arliss is on HBO Max. 
It started in 1996 and it lasted seven seasons. We were talking about Robert Wool earlier, who is in Batman. The Tim Burton's Batman is Alexander Knox. And he is he had the cameo in Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, the CW. He, you know, he was the guy. And then you're, he's holding the newspaper and it shows a drawn picture of Batman. And he has the original oval there. But then when you see the bat symbol in the sky, the um, you act, it actually looks more like the Batman Beyond symbol. So I'm wondering if Michael Keaton, when he returns, if he's going to have the classic yellow oval, like it shows on his new, on Robert Wool's newspaper, on Arliss's newspaper, or if it's going to be the Batman Beyond like costume that Michael Keaton's wearing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh I could see it being the Batman Beyond symbol that just if they're really trying to set up a Batman Beyond movie, they may want to go all in on promoting the symbol. Uh, but I don't know. It could go either way. Absolutely. So that's um, that's basically it. Do you have any final thoughts about um, what is happening in the DC multiverse? Because like I said, that's what they're calling it now is like just gen- generally it's DC multiverse. And like you have, you know, Wonder Woman 77 and Batman 66 and... Batman 1989 and Batman Forever 95 and you just have they're just all on different earths in this multiverse. I don't have any specific things to add other than um, I I just like in general that they're being less precious about their crossovers now that you know I I think in in the beginning they were very careful and they wanted to make sure that everything lined up in Snyder's plan uh, and now that he's kind of seen at least most of his vision through I think the TV series the TV extended universe and the film extended universe can uh both kind of weave in and out of each other uh without too many corporate politics you know it's it's awesome that ezra miller is on the tv version of flash and and hopefully we get to see uh grant gustin on uh you know maybe even flashpoint in the in the movie universe that would be really really sweet yeah so uh, i'm gonna leave us here now with uh linda carter wonder woman from 1977 her like the original live action Wonder Woman, which she said about the DC fandom that's happening August 22nd. This year, I'm excited to join over 300 stars and creators from the DC community at DC fandom, a special 24 hour celebration of the DC multiverse and its beloved fandoms. Tune in August 22nd at dcfandom.com hashtag WW84 for Wonder Woman 1984 because I'm like guaranteed that she's in it. Again, I'm hoping that she's her Wonder Woman in that, in Wonder Woman 1984. Like the, you know, the original Linda Carter Wonder Woman, I hope. Or she just has a little cameo in it, you know, whatever. That would be awesome. I hope she at least has a cameo. Yeah. So, um, and then again, Val Kilmer and Linda Carter are both going to be at DC Fandom. So this is going to be really exciting. Like they're in the next 10 years, DC is just going to be this gargantuan, huge presence that I think Marvel's going to have a really hard time keeping up with, honestly. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I think this, I think this COVID thing uh, works, you know, to the advantage of DC. I think they're going to have more time to get the their plans together post Zack Snyder, and I think they're going to have more time to uh, kind of perfect their vision for what the TV universe is going to look like, and um, I think that just helps them. Whereas Marvel, it seems like Marvel has a plan, so just you know, wasting time uh, not being able to produce anything right now just allows DC to catch up even further. 
For sure. And I think my, my only problem that I've ever had with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is they never tied it into the comic book universes. So uh, I always thought they were going to do that in Endgame or in Infinity War. I thought we were going to have some crossover. And I think, you know, obviously in the future, they're going to cross, like, you have the original Spider Man director, Sam Raimi, directing the um, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness movie. Like, I mean, again, if movies ever start getting filmed again, and that'll probably cross over all the Spider-Mans or something, you know? But, um, yeah, I think that what makes DC unique, especially right now against Marvel, is that they have a multiverse, and that includes the live action, and hopefully that'll include the animation. all Like, you know, Batman the Animated Series and that whole universe of, like, six shows and stuff like that. So... It's just a very exciting future that we have for us. And Linda Carter's right. This is this is a family. This is uh, the DC fandom's going to be a, cel- a 24-hour celebration of the DC multiverse and its beloved fandoms. And like this is just a whole community, and I think that's really great. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I I look forward to seeing uh, more actors from uh, you know DC past showing up in their live action movies. Yeah. So that's it for the ATNWB podcast. I've been your host, Chris Booker-Taylor. <laughs> and I've been Alex Wilson. And that's all, folks. <laughs> Rawr! This has been a full dinosaur production. <laughs>